In Pasha's Nosoi, one of the things that we speak about is the roles of the Levim, specifically according to their three families, Gerish and Kehos and Merari. And the Torah rounds it off by saying that all of them between the ages of 30 and 50 were called up La Avoid, Avoidas Avoida, to work Avoidas Avoida and then Avoidas Masa. So what exactly does that mean? Rashi tells us that Avoidas Avoida means an avoider which contributes to another avoider, namely the song that happened in the Mishkan. So straight away we're going to wonder because the language that Rashi uses is different to his source in the Gemara and he doesn't seem to get into the details. He only mentions some of the instruments and not all of the instruments. And that, of course, is uh, a little unusual. Also, when we get to avoidas masa, the avoider of carrying, there Rashi says it's as you would expect it to be implying that you might have thought that maybe Avodas Maso means something else, similar, I suppose, to Avodas Avoida, that it's something that prepares you for being able to carry, which also doesn't seem to make sense, because why not? Why wouldn't we include that as part of their Avoida? We're going to see that in order to understand the nuances of these two expressions, Avodas Avoida and Avodas Maso, we really have to understand the difference between how the Torah describes Gersh and Kahas and Merari, where Kahas is considered the ultimate of nosoi, of having their status elevated, not just simply being counted. Gershon seems to have a little bit less, so gamheim, they're almost like second fiddle to kahas, but they're also elevated nosoi. And mirari, that doesn't seem to have that attribute at all. And you would have thought that perhaps it has to do with the particular jobs that they have, how holy the elements that they look after are, but it turns out it's not that. In fact, it has to do with how much heavy lifting, literally, how much heavy lifting they have to do. So we're going to do a comparison. We see that there's this nasias roish, this elevation of status, that is somehow linked to how much schlepping they actually do. Kahas does the most, Gershon a little bit less, less and Merari pretty much none at all. And that will give us an insight into how it works with the music as well, that there's different kinds of music. And that's what Rashi is alluding to over here when he says, Avoida Savoida. And this will then also give us a spiritual lesson about the idea of progress, spiritual progress, which manifests in three different ways. After the Torah has told us about how you count and appoint to their positions, the three families, the Torah then says, It says all of them come to be part of this army working in the Mishkan. Then after that it says, The entire census that Moshe did, Pekudim is not just counting, it's also allocating them to roles. Which was for adult Levine from between the ages of 30 and 50. Kol who was included, anybody who came, anybody who came to work, the avoida of work, va avoidas masa, and the avoida of carrying, but oil moyed, inside the moyed, these were their numbers. So Rashi takes those two words which form a very strange phrase, the avoider of avoider, and explains, He says that this refers to the song that was produced with cymbals and with harps, which is an avoider that accompanies another avoider, because they would play the music, obviously, when other things were happening. Rashi wants to be clear that avoidas avoidas does not mean something you actually physically do as an activity in the Mishkan. Rather, it is an avoider that accompanies something else that is considered an activity in the Mishkan. It's a service that services another service. I know that's a tongue twister. And that refers to music which accompanied the korbonus. So now we're going to have three questions. Number one. The Gemara uses the language almost the exact opposite of how Rashi does. The Gemara says, which avoider needs to accompany another avoider, music. And there the Gemara doesn't get into the names of individual instruments. So why does Rashi do that? Okay, so first it sounds like Rashi is saying something quite different to the Gemara, because the Gemara is saying which avoider requires the attachment to a real avoider to substantiate it, whereas Rashi over here is basically saying that which avoider 
is a service to another avoid. It's slightly different words and, and, and possibly even implying the opposite. But more interesting, the Gemara doesn't feel the need to tell us which instruments, and Rashi does, which leads us to question two base. Why, if Rashi is going to mention instruments, does he only pick two out of all the various instruments that were used at the time of the Carbonos, which leads us to the next question. Why does Rashi say nothing about the fact that the Levim sang, which is a very big part of the whole experience? Especially when you consider that the precedent that we have in Chumash to the hidden singing praise Tashem was singing. So why does Rashi feel the need to mention instruments? If he is mentioning instruments, why only two? And why doesn't he mention singing? Now, you might say, oh, I know why he only mentions two instruments, because that's common. You bring the most... Uh, generic examples that you could possibly find. And maybe these two, the harp and the cymbals, represent all of the musical experience in the Mishkan. Well, that's not the case. Don't suggest that the reason Rashi puts forward these two is because they are the generic representation of all music in the Mishkan. Because if you look in Divrei Hayomim, where it does speak about these generalized instruments, there it says, There it talks about three different kinds of of, of musical instruments. Not just harps and, um, and cymbals, but flutes. So now it really doesn't make sense. Either Rashi should have used one instrument as an example, or the three that the Tanakh include as examples of, the, uh, of musical instruments. Why does he only choose two? two? In fact, Rashi could have given one example and then said, and clay shir. So we don't understand why Rashi is fixated on the instruments, why he ignores singing, and why he only uses these two examples. Now, while we're about it, here's another question on exactly this point. We have to understand further. We understand that the language of the Torah indicates that this is an avoider that is attached to or services another avoider, namely music. Okay, so we understand that's what the Pasuk is saying. But why does the Pasuk say it? In other words, we don't yet know that music is part of the Mishkan. Why is the Pasuk talking about it here? At this stage of the parasha, we don't yet know that the Levine play music and sing. And all we know so far is that the Kohanim, sorry, that the Levine assemble the Mishkan, dismantle the Mishkan, and look after the Mishkan. Whereas this, the instruction that you have to sing as part of the service in the Mishkan, that's only coming up in Parashat Baloischon, next parasha, where the Torah uses a double expression that the Levim are allocated, and it says it twice, allocated once, to carry the Mishkan and allocate it a second time to sing in the Mishkan. Sevim kein in imuvan. My timer hiskia kosov kan le achar min yabdei levi kolabolet latzov lavoid goimer. Why would the Torah mention here where you've just told us the general appointment of the Levim and their census? Rakes avoid the sashir. Velo eshar avoid the salavim prat le maso. So why now are we talking about music? There are other roles that we could have spoken about. And music we don't even know about yet. So it seems odd that Avoida Savoida should be referring to music at this stage of the game when we haven't yet been told that the Levium are the musicians of the, Mish- of the Mishkan later the Mikdash. 
Okay, so those are our questions on Avoida, Savoida, and Sydney, not only on what Rashi says, but on the Pasuk itself. Why does Rashi fixate on instruments? Why those instruments? Why nothing about song? Don't try and suggest that it's because those are generic instruments, because Tanakh says otherwise. And why is the Torah itself speaking about music before it's actually told us that the Levim are the ones who produce the music? Let's move to the next phrase in the Pasuk, and there too we're going to have a couple of questions. The next phrase in the Pasuk is that they were also instructed or appointed to avoidas masa, the avoider of carrying the parts of the Mishkan. Rashi says, that's literal. It actually means carrying parts of the Mishkan. So why does he say that? So logically, he's just told us that avoidas something means a prep for or a, a, a subsidiary of, or an assistant to. So, here you'd think the same thing. Because Rashi has just told us that avoidas, avoida means work to support, or service to support another service. So you would have thought that it is the same expression happening over here. Just like there, avoidas meant the service to assist another service. You would think avoidas maso means the service to assist the carrying. Something that supports the carrying without it being the carrying itself. That's why Rashi had to step in and say, no, this one is literal. This actually means carrying. So, that's what Rashi is doing. Now you have to ask yourself the question, so what would the avoida le maso be that Rashi has to tell us, don't think that's what the Pasuk is referring to because it's not. What is there? What is there that services carrying the items? So the most logical thing would be to say it's loading the pieces of the Mishkan onto the wagons that the Levim used to transport the Mishkan. So it's it's the, what helps you to be able to transport. And then you'd ask, why is this discussed over here specifically? The simple answer would be, well, now we're addressing roles that the Levium have that we haven't yet already addressed. Okay? So you would think at this point that Rashi needs to, Bavorin, he needs to exclude the possibility that it's saying, Loading the wagons is avoida le maso. No, it's not. Avoidas maso means actually carrying and transporting the piece of the Mishka. But that's not going to be a good enough answer because I will know if Lazar Shakasha Loy Mashakavonis Rashi Shlolas Tina Sagolis and his case because of the Shen Lalon Bipasha Senu. Firstly, it's a bit far fetched to imagine that Rashi here is telling us to exclude something we haven't yet learned about. The idea of loading and transporting using the wagons is only coming later in the parasha. We don't know it yet, so why would Rashi tackle it here? But besides that, there's a more glaring, obvious question. Why, in fact, should we exclude the loading up of the wagons from part of their avoida? It is part of their avoida. So if you want to argue that Rashi is concerned that you would have thought that perhaps loading the wagons is included in Masa and you need to know that it's not, well, then the obvious question is, why not? It's part of their avoider. Why would it not be counted? So in order to understand all of that, we're going to go back a little bit earlier in the parasha, right? At the beginning of the parasha, we're going to have a look at the expression, Nosso Yisroish. Specifically, and ask a few questions about the distinctions which we will start to pick up and how the Pasuk addresses counting and appointing Kahas, Gershon, and Merari. It does not seem to be equitable, and we need to understand why. So the Yuvan will understand all of our questions by analyzing what Rashi told us right at the beginning of the parasha on the Pasuk, that you should also count the people of Bnei Gershon. 
says Rashi, what does it mean that you should count them? That you should do for them as you have done for Bnei Kahas. Now listen to the next words because they are critical. To work out how many of them have reached service age. In other words, they're 30 years old. Why is Rashi saying in such a lengthy, wordy way? Count them to see how many are there that have reached the stage of Avoida. Why do you have to speak that way? We know already Bnei Kahas. Rashi just says, or should just say, count them like you count the people of Kahas. And we'll know exactly what that means. We'll understand that that means that what you need to do is you need to count. What's going on here? What you need to do is you need to count. As you counted the people of Kahas, we know what that is. We know already from the people of Kahas that when you count them, it's to see how many of them are royal avoiders. So what does Rashi have to tell us? So the Maharal is going to give us an insight over here, and he's going to explain to us that the word Nasai over here means more than count. And that's what's relevant. And that's what the Torah wants us to know, that there is a status assigned to each family of Levim at the time of their respective Nasai which is actually just going to give us a series of other questions, but that will open the way to understanding what's going on over here. The Maharal in his Gur Arya Pirushan Rashi says, The fact that he says, Count B'nei Gershon also, That's not an instruction to count the same age bracket that you counted B'nei Kahas. The Maharal says that when you read a Pasuk, the words of the Pasuk may sometimes link to the next Pasuk that's about to follow, or sometimes link to what has already been stated earlier. So I've got these words that say, You also have to count B'nai Gershon. Does the Gamheim relate to what we're about to say, which would mean, just like you counted the people of Kahas between the ages of 30 and 50, likewise you should count the people of Gershon between the ages of 30 and 50. Or Gamheim means Nosoi. Just like you elevated the status of Bnei Kahas, so you have to elevate the status of Bnei Gershon. Says the Maharal, yes, that's how you're supposed to read it. The Gamheim belongs to the first part of the, of the Pasuk, not the next Pasuk. The Torah is telling us over here not just simply to count, but to assign them a special role. In other words, The emphasis here says the Maharal is that the Bnei Gershon have to be given a certain status and elevation, not just simply to be counted. In other words, what it wants us to know is that the people from Bnei Gershon, once they are counted, they don't just go on record as being part of the census, but they get elevated into a position. Now, here's where the questions start. If that's true, then the Pasuk doesn't seem to make sense because you've just told me that the goal is to say that Bnei Gershon are like Bnei Kahas, being elevated to a higher status, the words of the Pasuk are Gam, oh, and also Bnei Gershon. That sounds like Bnei Kahas are the real people to be elevated and upgraded. And Gershon, Gam, Haim, yeah, them also. Surely there's no clear message in the Pasuk over here that we want to distinguish between Kahas and Gershon. So why would the Torah then say, It should have just said, And we would know that that means to elevate them. makes it sound like they also play a secondary role to those who were Nasa Esroish before, which was B'nai Kahas. 
And the question is even stronger when you think about B'nai Merari. Of a yes, it says Yukshaits of B'nai in Merari, When you get to B'nai Merari, the Torah doesn't say anything about Nosoi, nothing about elevating the status. It just says count them. Even though they're counting their census is identical. So something doesn't make sense over here. You're saying count like you count them, 30 to 50. But then you're implying that there's really a difference. Kahas is nosoi. Gershon is nosoi gam, also elevated. Merari is not nosoi at all. doesn't make sense. If it's true that anybody who's between 30 and 50 from Shevet Levi is automatically upgraded to a higher status, why is Mirari excluded? Now, the simplest way to explain it would be to say, well, look, Kahas are dealing with really, really holy items, so they are elevated. Gershon, less holy items. I mean, it's still part of the Mishkan, obviously. So they're a little bit elevated, and Mirari, not at all. Maybe that's the explanation. Perhaps the reason that distinguishes the Nesias Roish, the upgrade for each family of Levi, is relative to which part of the Mishkan they're responsible for. Benekahas had to look after the most precious holy items of the Mishkan, the things that sat in the epicenter of the Mishkan, the Aron, the Shulchan, and Menorah, etc. So that would explain why they are the ones who are the most elevated, because they deal with the most holy components of the Mishkan. B'nei Gershon Shaflaim Oisavoy Das Hakedosh Hachulei Anirus Beveis Kedosh Hakedoshim, B'nei Gershon, who also handled very important holy parts of the Mishkan that were, so to speak, face to face with the Kedosh Hakedoshim, Hinegam, because they have like the Yeriyos and you know parts of the Mishkan that actually extend over the Kedosh Hakedoshim, the the curtain that divides the Kedosh Hakedoshim. They were also elevated to a high status because they're dealing with very important holy elements. But because the items that they were responsible to transport were not as holy as the items Kahas was responsible for, so that's why they also have like a next best level of Kedusha, next level, next best level of, of up. In other words, it's directly relative to what they're dealing with. Whereas B'nai Merari, who were responsible for transporting the external elements of the Mishkan that never came anywhere near the Kedosh HaKadoshim, so they're not dealing with such holy elements, they don't get upgraded that high. The truth is, we could even look ahead in Parashas Baaloischa and see that Rashi seems to say something a little similar. You can see it in the language of Rashi when he talks about the fact that the inauguration of the Levium, where they had to be uh, waived that it was done in three segments, Rashi explains because it's the three families. And while he's about it, he distinguishes between the roles of the three families. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's why. Kahas are the most elevated because they deal with the most holy items. And Gershon less so because their items are less holy. And Merari, the least they don't even get Nasi at all. So maybe that's the explanation. Says the Rebbe, no. First of all, it's always a stretch to imagine that Rashi will say something now, relying on the fact that later he'll clarify it. The fact that later in Parshas Baloisra he's going to give us this division is not a reason to explain how he interprets the Pasuk here. But besides that, Rashi says clearly that the age bracket 30 to 50 
was directly related to the physical labor of schlepping the pieces of the Mishkan. Under 30, you're not full strength. Over 50, your strength begins to wane. This is your period. And Rashi made no hint to the possibility that their role is in any way linked to the degree of holiness of the item they happen to carry. So therefore we have to conclude that Rashi sees that this, uh, the, this counting and the allocation of roles to 30 to 50 year olds is only about carrying, the ability to carry. So we're back to square. Why are we distinguishing between the three families? Why is Gahas Nosoi? They're elevated to the highest status of, um, of Kedusha. And Gershon, less so. And Mirari, the least. Why? You're talking about carrying. Rashi says the whole thing is about their ability to carry. What fundamental difference is there between the ability of this family to carry and the ability of that family to carry? Therefore, we have to come to a conclusion, and that conclusion will open our eyes to understanding this entire section of the parasha. We have no choice but to say, Therefore, we have to conclude that Rashi's, uh, Rashi's view and understanding is that when it comes to counting B'nai Levi between the ages of 30 and 50, there are two areas of counting, two different things that we focus on. Aleph. Firstly, there is Sug Minyan Boyf and Denos, there is Shashayach Birke Eitzel B'nai Kehos, Vigam Eitzel B'nai Gershon Kitfeilim Livnei Kehos, Gam Heim, Abeloi Eitzel B'nai Mirari. One perspective that we have to look at is What's going to happen to these people? These families of Levi, are they going to be elevated to a higher status? If we look through that lens, Kahas is elevated the most, Gershon next, Merari the least. But when we talk just generally as the Pasuk does about counting the Levim, then we're not talking about their status, we're talking about their numbers. Well, then that's the same. That's equal for every single Levi. Every single Levi between 30 and 50 is counted into the army of Levium. But that's the point. We're focused on two different things over here. When it comes to counting, everybody's the same. When it comes to the Nosoyes Roj, the status associated with their particular role, that will be different depending on what, as we're about to see, depending on how much, not what you carry, how much carrying you have to do. We originally thought the difference between Kahas, Gershon, Mirari, most holy item, less holy items, less holy items, it's actually not that. It's how much you schlep versus how much you schlep versus how much you schlep. The explanation is this. As we've already identified, Rashi Dafka says that this age bracket are the people who have the strength to be able to carry, and that's who gets the nosoi. The people who have the strength to carry, they're the ones who get upgraded to a higher status. That's Rashi's actual language. Count those who are suited to carry. So that's how we're going to now distinguish between the three families because the nature of their work is different. When the Torah describes kahas, it tells us they have one task, transporting the holy items of the Mishkan. Ah, you have one task. That's your whole avoider, nosoi. That elevates you. That's your whole avoider. That's everything that you're about. In that case, you're elevated. When we get introduced to Bnei Gershon, they have two roles. They have to serve in the Mishkan and they have to carry. 
Se'etzlam yeshna avoidon ne'isefes almaso. They, in addition to transporting the Mishkan, have another role assigned to them. Therefore, the Nosoi es Roish for them, who behemoth derech their Nosoi, remember, Nosoi is an elevated status that you get for how much Maso you do for the Mishkan. Kahas is 100% Maso, 100% Nosoi. Gershon is Avoida and Maso, so they have also a Nasa Esroish, but it's not as powerful, not as potent, not as meaningful as what happens to Kahas. Notice that's what Rashi says. When Rashi was talking about Kahas, he says, let's count how many of them are ready for Avoidas Maso to carry, because that's what Kahas is all about. When he speaks about Gershon, he says, and this is the our question we had at the beginning, why does he use such long language? Now you know why. Kamayesh shihigiu lichlal avoido. How many Bnei Gershon are now suited to Avoida, which is not only carrying, not only transporting, it's the two kinds of Avoida that they do, Avoida and Masa. When you get to Bnei Merari, they are not assigned an Avoida at all. All that is assigned to them is a responsibility to look after. Mishmeres Masa. Meaning, Merari didn't actually carry things on their shoulders. So they don't get referred to as the carriers, the transporters, because they don't actually physically transport things. In fact, that's Rashi's already told us what Mishmeris means. It means you've been appointed for a particular task. So they were like kind of, they had to oversee the transport of their elements. They didn't have to physically carry. They are responsible to make sure the job gets done. But not necessarily on their own physical bodies. In fact, the parasha is going to tell us, Mirari did not carry on their shoulders. They put everything directly onto wagons and zehu. Because B'nai Mirari didn't have the work, the physical labor of carrying, they did not get the status that is associated with those who carry. So we thought the distinction between the three families was because of what they dealt with. The holier they are, the more upgraded the family. And emerges that's not the case. It's how much of their time and effort had to go into muscle carrying. So when you're talking about B'nai Kahas, their entire avoida is avoidas masa. They get Nosoi, the ultimate status upgrade. Gershon, who has a bit of Masa and a bit of Avoida, they get a little bit of an upgrade. And Mirari, that just has to oversee, but doesn't have to get their hands dirty in the same way to carry the Mishkan, they don't get the same upgrade. Yet, in spite of this major difference, what we do see is, Nimnu we do see, though, that the, the age bracket for which or in which B'nai Merari was counted was the same age bracket, 30 to 50. Why? Because even though they only supervised the transport and they didn't actually carry the items, you have to acknowledge that there's no such thing as a completely hands-off approach. doesn't exist. What do you think? The... The pieces of the Mishkan magically got onto the wagons by themselves. They mainly used wagons to transport their part of the Mishkan. The truth is, if we're honest about it, B'nai Merari also had to load their items onto the wagons. And there were probably some smaller pieces that never went on the wagons that they carried by hand. 
Now we can answer our original questions. Now we understand what Rashi had to say. means literally carrying the components of the Mishkan. Why? Because because you might have thought that avoidas maso means the preparation in order to transport. Just like we see Mirari. Mirari don't actually carry things. They don't actually move things. What do we see? That they are responsible to prepare, to facilitate the transport. Ah, now that I know Mirari only facilitates transport, I might have thought Avoidas Maso is talking about that kind of thing, where you facilitate transport. Rashi. Rashi does not want us to think that that is the translation of Avoidas Maso. Why not? Because to facilitate something doesn't require physical strength. So we don't need the age bracket of 30 to 50 because Rashi's already told us clearly 30 to 50 tells you they're strong enough to carry. If you're going to translate Avoidas Maso as being the supervisor who stands there saying, okay, move this, take that, go here, go there, then who needs a 30-year-old or a 50-year-old? You could have a 20-year-old or a 70-year-old and you could achieve the same thing. That's why Rashi has to say, Kemashmoy. And plus the fact that Merari is also only counted from 30 to 50 because you just said that they facilitate as their supervisors so age is irrelevant. Well, the reason that they're counted through that age bracket is because they will have minor carrying and, and transportation to do as well. Okay, so it seems really clear now, right? We understand what the difference is between the three families. We understand that whichever family does the most hard labor of transporting the Mishkan gets the highest level of Nosoi, that's Kahas. Lesso Gershon, almost nothing Mirari. We understand now how it all works, and we understand how Rashi wanted to be very clear that Avoidas Masa does not refer to the kind of job that B'nai Mirari would do. It all makes sense except for one thing. B'nai Mirari were not the only people who used wagons. So we've made our entire proposal based on the idea that they didn't have too much work to do because they used wagons. Guess what? We have to understand. Also used wagons to transport their pieces of the Mishkan. Now what's the difference between the Mirari and Gershon? Mirari uses wagons. So does Gershon. Gershon carries things by hand. So do Mirari. So what's the difference? Why are we saying Gershon has the Nasai and Mirari doesn't? Look, the Torah seems to make it sound like Gershon rarely carried things. Why? They used wagons. This explanation is this. This is just simple logic. If you understand, if you can picture in your mind what the Mishkan looks like, and then you know what each family is responsible to do, you can assume that the dismantling of the Mishkan happened in a very strategic, logical way. First, B'nai Gershon would remove, dismantle the part of the Mishkan that was relevant to them. The different parts of the, um, the so-called curtains and the roof coverings. So uh, these kalei are draped over the up, uprights of the Mishkan. You have to take them off first. It doesn't make any sense that you're going to remove the walls of the Mishkan before you remove the drapery, drapery that's hanging on those walls. And then they, they obviously took those components and put them onto their wagons. And then B'nai Merari came along. They started to take apart the actual real heavy stuff of the Mishkan, the stuff that's, that, that gives it its shape and the, the, um, the pillars that held up these drapes around the Chatzar of the Mishkan. And in reverse, when it was time to put up the Mishkan, 
Alter. First, Bnei Merari would take all their pieces, put it up, the skeletal structure of the Mishkan, and then and then Bnei Gershon would step in with all the drapery and the roof and, and, and the skins, etc., and they'd put it all up. It's logical. You can't take away the skeleton before you've taken away the skin. So now we know that when Gersh, Bnei Gershon took the Yeriyos Izim off the roof of the Mishkan, which was a big job, and when they took down the drapery from around the Chatzara Mishkan, obviously all the pillars were still standing. Plain logic tells you that means they had to carry all of these things the entire distance through the Mishkan, outside of the Mishkan, outside of the Chatzara Mishkan, before they could reach their wagons. Because it's not physically possible to bring the wagons inside. The, the Amudim are too close together. You can't get the wagons in. So the only choice is to step everything outside. Ah, that's Avoidas Maso. You see how hard they had to work. You see how much effort they had to put in. They had to schlep all this heavy stuff all that distance to reach their wagons. But the Bnei Mirari, they've just got to now take down all these Amudim that are standing up. Okay, fine. So you bring your wagon, push over the Amud onto the wagon. And so you go, once the, the whole external part of the Mishkan is done, you go to the internal part, do the same thing with the Kroshim, with the boards of the Mishkan. No major dragging things on your shoulders. This even gives us a deeper understanding of why Bnei Gershon are one degree less than Bnei Kahas. Not only because they had other jobs as well, because because Bnei Gershon, although they had a long distance to transport all of the different elements of the Mishkan, once they were on the wagons, they were on the wagons. Bnei Kahas doesn't have wagons. They're carrying all the time. So now you can see the hierarchy. Bnei Kahas carry from location to location. Bnei Gershon, Gamahim, they also have a lot of schlepping to do. Not nearly the same amount of schlepping. And Merari doesn't have to schlep at all. They can bring the wagons right up to the location and push the things on. Okay, the only thing it's, you know, it's a lecha because if you have a look in Parshas Pekudei, it actually turns out that the Chatzah was put up last. So you could kind of challenge this, uh, this uh, logical procedure that we've just described, you could challenge it. But even if you are going to say that they waited until everything was to, uh, was put up and then they put the chatzar around, we're talking now at the, uh, not so much the dismantling, now we're talking about the assembling of the Mishkan. Still, the bottom line is Gershon had a lot of very difficult work to do. They had to climb up, they had to hook things on, they had to spread the ureos over the top. There's a lot of masa involved, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of schlepping involved. So therefore, Bnei Gershon definitely are more invested physically than Bnei Mirari, but less so than Bnei Kahos. With all of that in mind, we can now go back to Avoida Savoida and understand what Rashi is getting at. Now we understand why Rashi doesn't just simply tell us that Avoidas Avoida means song and music, which accompanies the Avoida of Karbonos, but he specifies cymbals and harps. Why? Why? 
everything that we have explained so far, which shows us that the age bracket of 30 to 50 is an age of strength, which is relevant because the job of the Levim is to carry and transport heavy and difficult, uh, you know, uh, unwieldy items. So we've already said that Gershon has two roles. Masa, carrying, yes, definitely those should be B'nai Gershon between 30 and 50. What about those B'nai Gershon who don't land up transporting and they only do la avoid whatever the other avoider is? Why do they have to be between 30 and 50? So a pastures yes lemish la void koya la voided the piruk va commissamish gonna gamlo zet sorry hold koyach. Okay. You could say that it's because there are other steps in the process of assembling or dismantling the Mishkan that also need some degree of physical strength. Not the same degree of physical strength as actually carrying these things over great distance. You know, you're talking about putting things up or taking things down. Okay, so you could say, you know, if you're somebody doing one of the lesser, you know, there's the schlep heavy lifting, and then there's the smaller lifting or the, you know, the unhooking of, of the pieces of the Kale uh, Hechotzer from the Amude uh, Hechotzer. Not so much work. Doesn't deserve Nase Yasroish, but work nonetheless. So as long as you're talking about carrying, you have a reason to look at people between the ages of 30 and 50 because you need physical strength and these people have it. But once the Torah says from 30 to 50, you come to do which we now know means playing music. There's a very obvious question. Why do you need strong people to play music? <laughs> Only 30 to 50 year olds can play music. A 70 year old cannot be in an orchestra. Why? So because Rashi is coming from a perspective on this entire conversation, that 30 to 50 is a statement of strength that has to do with Maso, which gives you Nesias Roish. So now we need to know why the avoidas avoida, which is music, has to be age specific. That's why Rashi specifies what music are we talking about? Symbols and harps. And he does not talk about wind instruments or singing. The fact that this Pasuk, not the Pasuk coming later on that's going to tell us about the Levian playing music, this specific Pasuk of people between the ages of 30 and 50 for Avoidas Avoida, this is talking about whatever music needs some physical strength. Physical strength is required for the symbols. And for the harp. You need to be very good at what you do. You need some strength in what you do. You need, um, you need to be resilient to keep playing because it takes a lot of effort. That's just like, you know, like, like flowing wine. It's not hard. You blow. It's, you sing. It doesn't take the same degree of effort. Therefore, in this specific pasuk, about 30 to 50, which requires strength for avoida avoida, must only be referring to those musical instruments that require strength. And now we understand why this is suddenly discussed here. We've just told how many people there are, and now we're saying The fact that the Torah inserted this pasuk after we've kind of tallied up the entire quantum of how many levim there were, 
As a summary saying, this census includes people between the ages of 30 and 50 because they have Avoida Savoida and Avoida Smasa. Milamdeno Akasa, from that the Torah is teaching us. That the fact that this counting had to be 30 to 50 year olds is only for these two reasons. It's for these two areas of service that you have to have 30 to 50 year olds. Because there are other roles that the Levim could play that are not locked into 30 to 50 year olds. And the Torah wants us to know these are the, the, the types of avoider that are specifically for people who are of good health and good strength. As Rashi is going to tell us on, later on in Parashat Baloischa, clearly he's going to say, that when a Levi reaches the age of 50, he doesn't do Avoida anymore, says Rashi, what does he not do? Avoida's master because he no longer carries. He still has other roles that he could play. Opening and locking the gates, singing, because remember, that's not the effort of playing a, a, a strong instrument. Loading the, the, the wagons. To camp around the Mishkan to make sure that no non Kohanim come in. All of those jobs Levim have even above the age of 50. And that's exactly what Rashi is telling us over here. There's Avoidas Avoid and Avoidas Maso. Things that require physical strength have an age restriction. Things that don't, the Levi can continue to work afterwards as well. Which teaches us something very interesting from an Alachic perspective. This is going to illustrate to us, as Rashi sometimes does, an incredible insight into an halachic issue. Now that we have established that those specific instruments, the cymbals and the harps, you only play until the age of 50, when Rashi said in the Rashi we just quoted from Pashas Baloischa that over the age of 50, a lady still goes back to sing, he means to sing and to play wind instruments. But other instruments he cannot play, which is a fascinating chiddush that Rashi is telling us. Furthermore, because Rashi tells us that from 50 years old, a person's strength begins to wane, which makes it difficult to be able to play the cymbals or the harp. Then there obviously is no difference whether we're discussing the Levim's role in the Mishkan or later on in the Beis HaMikdash. So Rashi is implying over here that not only in the time of the Mishkan, but forever, age is a disqualifying factor for certain services of a Levi. And, 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 and maybe you just want to say that that's Xeras HaKosim and it has no logical basis, but that's Rashi's Chiddush over here, which is quite a powerful Chiddush, that there's an age limit on roles that the Levim are going to play. Face value, it seems like there's only a role, uh, it's only a, sorry, it's only a, a census that's limited 30 to 50, and Masois are limited 30 to 50. Rashi's saying even some instruments as well. Now let's take it to a Ruchnistika level. We have seen the difference between the three families and will give us a whole new insight into something that Dalt Rebbe says in this parish and Rukut Al-Tarebbe talks about the distinction between the three families and how they are uh, Nesius Roish, how they have this elevated status. And he says this, The Al-Tarebbe explains that Roish obviously normally represents the part of us that is very rational. Nesius Roish is to elevate a person to a part of themselves that is super rational. 
Ratzon, the motivation to keep doing and to move and to really grow in an exponential fashion. Hiluch, to keep moving. So Bnei Kahas and Bnei Gershon represent two different ways in which a person progresses and grows. One where the stimulation comes from above, like you're inspired. The other where the stimulation comes from below, where you motivate yourself. And both of them can experience and should experience an elevation to a whole new level, an exponential degree of growth. Whereas the avoid of Merari is a stable avoid. It's not hiluch. It's not. It's kind of like sticking to your guns. Like we see that a big responsibility that they had was the amudim, the part, the pillars of the Mishkan that stand. There you don't look for That's your stability. Your stability should remain stable. Your growth has to become exponential. Now the question is, the entire experience of traveling through the desert was to get halicha, get people to move, to grow, not just to go from point A to point B, but to go through experiences and to challenge themselves and to grow. So how could there be an entire component of Shevet Levi that's not involved in that? They don't have to grow. So based on what we have explained about Rashi, that there's a direct correlation between the experience of Nasser Esrosh, which previously we understood just simply to mean an elevation of status. And now we're understanding that it means a whole different mindset, that you elevate yourself beyond what your rational mind can comprehend, so that you're ready for exponential growth. That is linked to avoid as massa, to the heavy lifting. We can now explain that even Bnei Mirari experienced exponential growth. It's just that their exponential growth was somehow tied to wagons and what wagons represent. So let's understand. We're effectively going to say that there are three layers to the experience of exponential growth. When we describe Real movement, real change, real growth. There are three concepts. Aleph. The fundamental principle of shift is when you get your nefesh abahamis to wake up and to start to love Hashem. That's the shift. And when that shift happens, it is powerful. Why? Because the nefesh abahamis is powerful. Because the Nefesh Abahamis originates at such a lofty, powerful, intense level called Oilamatoyu, therefore it's got incredible power. You switch that power on and it's turbo boost. That Nefesh Abahamis is now running towards Hashem in a way that nobody ever imagined. Number two. So that stimulation, that excitement of the Nefesh Abhamis has to be focused and directed. In the plural, the Shein Rabim. The idea is not just to get the Nefesh Abhamis to run, but even to get the Neshama, the Nefesh Abhamis, which is already in a healthy space. So it doesn't feel the need for Bligvul. It doesn't feel the need for exponential growth. The goal is that your Nefesh Abhamis isn't the Saronic. Your Nefesh Abhamis should become so stimulated that it actually impacts the Nefesh Abhamis to be stimulated in a Bligvul way too. Then, when even the nefesh kiss is stimulated to move so much beyond its natural state, then the nefesh kiss gets elevated to a level that the nefesh abahamis could never dream of. The king takes me, me alone, only the nefesh kiss, into the most inner sanctum. So those are the three stages of real growth. Stimulate the Nefesh Abahamis to get all excited. The Nefesh Abahamis then runs with a strength that you've never seen before, which stimulates the Nefesh Abahamis to push itself beyond itself, which allows the Nefesh Abahamis to come to a point of its ultimate connection to Hashem. 
these three stages are reflected in the three families. The Bnei Merari don't actually move parts of the Mishkan, they just see to it that it happens. Where's the real movement? Wagons. Even the little bit of transportation of getting things onto or off the wagons does not count as avoida. That represents that only the agola, the wagon, is moving. The nefesh Bahamis is moving. I'm not moving yet. I haven't done anything yet. Get involved. They get involved as well. Not only is the nefesh Bahamis running because now it's been stimulated, but the nefesh Bahamis is too. That's why Bnei Gershon uses both wagons and their own shoulders to show that the animal is moving and the neshama is moving. But the ultimate state is Yesal came Bnei Kehos Haviyani Amelchadorov. Bnei Kehos reached the level of being invited into Hashem's personal chamber. They reach the real uh, the real unfettered power of the Nishama, which has nothing to do with the Nefesh Abamis, doesn't relate to, doesn't speak to the Nefesh Abamis. That's why the main thing they carried was the Oren, which is Torah. Because the idea of being drawn into Hashem's personal space is achieved through Torah and happened at the time of Matan Torah. And that's how we access it, through Limit HaTorah.